0: And we're going to think this morning from uh, First Peter again, we're going to read in chapter 2, and we're looking at, um, and it kind of fits in really well, about Christ being our cornerstone. So we're reading from First Peter chapter 2, reading from verse 4 down to verse 8. As you come to him, him being Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Amen. So last week we, we thought um, about this, this call to be a loving people, and it ended with um, Peter basically giving this... Uh, it's kind of like a stark comment about if you have tasted that God is good, then you should be doing what I've told you to do. The end of verse three says, "If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good." And this, this, um, this verse is taken from Psalm 34, and. When it says in Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you can remember back to our sermon series when we looked at the names of God, when we see L-O-R-D in capitals, it's Yahweh, it's his covenant-keeping name. And that's the, the, the name that we see within Psalm 34. Um, taste and see that Yahweh is good is a, would be the way that we would read it. And, and this is actually really significant. Now, why do I mention this? Because it actually helps develop Peter's argument with where he is going. And it's significant because Peter is demonstrating that what is true of Yahweh is also true of Jesus. What is true of Yahweh is true of Jesus. And this is important because what we see Peter do is he, in these verses, he is expanding and building a theology of Jesus. And in theological terms, we call that a Christology. He is developing a Christology, a theology of Jesus. He builds this picture about who this Jesus is, who he is in our lives, and he does so, and you won't be surprised now, by drawing on the Old Testament imagery, allusions, and Bible verses. And in verse four, the first opening phrase we have here is, as you come to him, or drawing near to him is another way of thinking and that is a very old testament um, phrase to use and in the old testament when that phrase was being used as you come to him or as you draw near to him it was used in relation to people going to the tabernacle people going to offer god a sacrifice and often they would be priests so we then see that he uses this as a wee window into where we have read so he he talks about a spiritual house he talks about his spiritual sacrifices he talks about um, uh, uh, being a priesthood so it's not surprising that we see this opening verse that he's taking a a verse that had been used in relation to drawing near to god in in the old testament which was as they would come to offer a sacrifice and like i said in the old testament Those that would offer sacrifices would be, when they offer them on behalf of God's people, they would be the priests or the the, the tribe of Levi, the Levites. And this is something that obviously Peter looks to develop and teach us about in the verses we've read together this morning. And it's actually quite mind-blowing where he takes this and actually what Christ allows us to do as his people on this side of the cross. Because Peter, this week, and we'll see next week, he goes on and he talks about us being a royal priesthood. And we're going to think a lot more about that next week, because that is, that's really significant. But in the Old Testament, as I said, they would come and they would, they would bring physical sacrifices as they draw near to God, as they would come before him. And Peter, and, and we also see that the writer uh, of Hebrews... He develops this and kind of takes it on a different emphasis as well. In Hebrews 4, we read these words, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see that drawn near, that phrase of coming near to God? It's a very biblical theme. This verse in Hebrews, the context for it is, is is Jesus being described and called our high priest. And as Jesus being our high priest, he is offered, just as the priests in the Old Testament do, they they would offer a sacrifice to try and atone for the sins of the people. But it would just be a covering because actually, eventually, they would have to offer another one. Every year they would offer this, on the day of atonement, they would keep on offering sacrifices to try and cover the sins of God's people. But in Christ, what we see is we have this great high priest who offered a once and for all sacrifice himself. That lamb that was shed and broken, and he doesn't just cover our sins, but he wipes them clean. So we don't have to keep on replicating that. We just have to come to him in faith and repentance of our sins. Jesus is the greatest high priest. And the sacrifice he offered, it doesn't need to be replicated. He says, it's finished. I've done it. I've dealt with the problem of sin. And the emphasis that Hebrews 4 and where Peter is developing here in the passage we've read this morning is that coming near to God, we don't come to offer him sacrifices to try and atone for our sins. We don't come as priests with lambs to an altar to try and appease God's wrath. Jesus has done that. And because of Jesus, we can come in his name and as a priesthood of all believers, as a royal priesthood, you get to draw near to the throne of grace and offer him, not sacrificial lambs, sacrificial worship, spiritually sacrificing our lives before him. As you come to him, he says this, and the one we're drawing near to, the, the great high priest, Who has appeased the wrath of God. Who is he? Well, Peter tells us he is a living stone rejected by men. The stone who was rejected by men. What they viewed as useless and not needed and they discarded and they nailed to a cross. God in turn has said, I'm going to use him as the most important and the most integral piece of what I am doing. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. And again, friends, as we have seen, Peter keep alluding to this overarching plan that God has from before time even began we've seen his hand in election in for knowing Christ in choosing Christ and we know even though god chose him and he was precious this living stone we know where the rejection that men had for him where that led to it led to death on a cross but as Peter, and he does this again here, multiple times he's referred to Christ's death, but he also speaks to his resurrection. We see that within this image as well, a living stone rejected. Although he was rejected and his rejection was his crucifixion on the cross of Calvary, that's what it led to. But even though he died as that atoning sacrifice, he isn't just any stone, he's a living stone because he is alive. So this living stone image, Peter develops it in verses 6 through to 8. And let's read 6 to 8 for a few moments together this morning. And then we'll go back to verse 5. Because that's where we see the purpose of what Peter is developing this morning. But he shows who this living stone is. For it stands, verse 6 says in scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Firstly, Peter speaks about this cornerstone. In this understanding, and we need to kind of go back to how the original hearers would have heard and understood a cornerstone. And what Peter is doing here is he's showing that Christ was the first one who was laid, the first one that was put down. The Apostle Paul develops this um, theology and this theme as well, uh, but he goes it in, a, in a different ways in Romans 8 where he speaks about Christ being the firstborn among many. It's the same kind of principle that Christ is the first, that Christ came first. And in verse 6, As we've read about, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone. Peter here is quoting from Isaiah chapter 28. And the context for this chapter, and it's important that we hear this because he goes on and he refers to this later on in the verses that follow. The context for Isaiah chapter 28 was that there was judgment coming for God's people. Because of their disobedience and their unbelief. They were failing to trust God. They were putting their trust in those that were around them. In the surrounding countries, they were trusting in those and trying to form allies with those that were around them to keep them safe. And in doing so, by trying to trust the surrounding countries, what they're doing is they're turning their back on Yahweh. And we're saying, actually, God, we don't trust you. We don't trust that you're our shield. We're not trusting you're our reward. We're not trusting that you're going to keep us safe. We're going to go and trust these other people these human leaders, these human kings that will keep us from harm. And what God then says in Isaiah, through Isaiah in chapter 28, he's saying that because of your disobedience, judgment is coming. But those who trust in the Lord, they will escape judgment. I love that notion that mercy triumphs over judgment. And although they had been disobedient, although they turned their back on God, what God is saying is, I'm still going to be faithful to my covenant, and I'm going to lay in Zion a stone, a cornerstone. This image, and this is what I said, we need to kind of hear this in in how Peter's original hearers would have heard it. When We speak of a cornerstone in ancient times. They would do buildings a wee bit different to how we would construct buildings. Any construction would start by firstly laying down a cornerstone. It was the most important and the most integral block that was being placed. Because every other brick and block and thing that was placed down was done so in relation to the cornerstone. Everything hinged, everything depended upon that cornerstone. It would ensure the building was being built properly. And like I said, everything else that was laid was laid in reference to this crucial stone, this crucial cornerstone. I read of a more modern uh, analogy albeit american because construction's not my bag i, I like sport and, and the way that um that helped me understand is that if they were constructing a-, a baseball field they would lay the home base first and all the other bases would be laid in relation to the home base That home base is like the cornerstone that Peter's speaking about here. The most important one that's laid. And every other base that's laid is laid in reference to the home base. All the measurements are taken from that home base. So too with the cornerstone in construction. And so too it should be with the cornerstone in our lives. Everything is laid in reference to that crucial block. And those who trust in the cornerstone, Isaiah and Peter say, they will not be put to shame. Because when we build our lives upon Jesus, friends, it's hard. Because actually, his ways are not our ways. His ways are not the ways of the world. They look different. It's hard to follow Jesus. Narrow is the way that leads to life. But we have that reassurance that we may build our lives upon him when we forsake ourselves and when we say, world, do you know what? The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. When we have and when we say that we have the assurance from God's word that whoever believes in him, whoever builds their lives upon that cornerstone, they will never be put to shame. But as Peter shows us, not all trust him not all build their lives upon the cornerstone he goes on and he speaks in verse seven so the honor is for you who believe but for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the corner stone second and he's already referred to this earlier earlier on Second, he quotes here from Psalm 118, the the verses we began our service with this morning. And Psalm 118 was written during the time the temple was being built. But here Peter shows us how it's also pointing forward to the Messiah. And that, as we're going to see in a moment, that God's plan isn't to construct some lovely architectural building that looks nice. It's got nice stained glass windows and a lovely big uh, steeple or whatever you call those things that point up in the sky. That God is actually building a people for himself. And he's laid the cornerstone in order to do that. And what Peter is doing here in verse 7 is... He's showing us that in this life, there are two groups of people. There are those that will build their lives in the cornerstone, and there's those who reject the cornerstone. There's those who will be honoured because of the cornerstone, and there's those that will stumble because. There's those who are saved, and there's those who are not saved. There is no middle ground. I used to say when I started here, and I'm going to start saying it again, there is no fence here. There is no fence for you to sit on. It's an imaginary thing. I wonder, do you believe in hell? I wonder if you've ever been asked that question. Do you believe in hell? Because if we do not grasp the ugliness and the reality of hell, we will never able, be able to even slightly begin to comprehend the glory of the gospel. When we think of the ugliness of hell, we begin to see how glory and how glorious the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is, what he saved us from, and how he's managed to do it. Do you know that Jesus speaks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? Jesus speaks about hell more than he speaks about heaven. Why? Well, my tuppence worth, if you want to know, is because that is her default reality. That is where we were going before Christ. Because of sin. The wages of sin is death. And because of sin, that is where, we're, where our default direction is there. We're, we're going to a lost eternity. We're going to hell. But the glory of the gospel, is Jesus says, that doesn't have to be where you go. I've come so that you can have life. The enemy comes to steal and kill and to destroy. But I've come so that you can have life and life in all its fullness. There's an ugly reality waiting for humanity. But trust in me, Jesus says. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the only way to eternal life. I'm the only way to get away from that place you're going to, which is hell. I'm the only way to get to heaven. I don't know if you remember the the chorus that used to sing at holiday clubs. You can't get to heaven in a biscuit tin. Because God don't let no crummies in. The only way to heaven is Jesus. There's no other way. And the default position for mankind and humanity is a lost eternity because of sin, but Jesus says, "I have this glorious gospel that I'm offering you, and it's free. I've done it all. I've appeased God's wrath. Trust in me. To think that there's a heaven to shun, a hell to shun, and a heaven to gain. He came to save us and to pluck us from the depths of hell. To bring us to the heights and the glory of heaven. And Jesus doesn't just speak about this place. He actually describes it for us as well. It's a place of eternal torment. Unquenchable fire. Where the worm does not die. Where there is weeping and the gnashing of teeth. A place of outer darkness. a place where God is not. What an ugly place. When we start to understand what it is that Christ has come to save us from. No wonder the hymn writers said, Hallelujah or a savior so the honor is for you who believe you notice that when christ went through one thing so that you could basically go through the complete opposite he died so you could live he took on sins so you could have his righteousness He took wrath so that we could have mercy. He was rejected so we could be honored. Those who believe in Christ will never be put to shame. But those who reject the cornerstone, they stumble and it's a rock of offense for them. That rock we build our lives upon, that cornerstone for those who trust in Jesus, the most beautiful thing in his life. But those who do not believe in him, it's a rock of offense. How dare you say I can't live my life like that? How dare someone try and tell me what to do? It's a rock of offense. We don't have time to go into it this morning, but at the end of verse eight, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. I know the many people struggle with that verse, but for me in my simple mind, it is so comforting to read that verse. Why? Because even when the bad things happen, God is still in control. God is still sovereign. And I look back and I see our denomination reject the word of God. Reject his ways. And trying to appease culture. And how good is it to know that even though that's happened. That Christ is still on his throne. And God is still in control. And we continue to trust in him so we've seen this living stone and very briefly this morning we're going to look at the purpose of that living stone verse five you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus christ peter has said that christ is the living stone who's the cornerstone and amazingly he stretches this image and he now says that you are also living stones But through the Old Testament verses we've looked at, he shows this major difference that we cannot miss between Christ being the living stone and us being the living stone. It's Jesus that's the cornerstone. It's Christ that's the cornerstone. And we build our lives on him. So what has been built? Well, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us, do you not know that you are the temple of God? And the spirit of God dwells in you. Jesus said, knock this temple down in three days and I'll build it back up. And they thought he was speaking about the temple on the mountain. But actually he was talking about himself. He was talking about his own body. And we as Christ's church here on earth, we are the temple of the living God. It's why we could continue worshipping all throughout the pandemic online and not gather here in this sanctuary. Why? Because as good as this building is, this building is not church. We are the bride of Christ. We are his church. So, wherever we meet, wherever we worship, wherever we do community together, church happens because that's us. It's not a building, but it's a people that God is building. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And you know, he's not just speaking about membership there, he's not just speaking about bums on pews, he's speaking about building you up as a living stone. That's what Peter is saying here. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. Christ is building you as you become more like Him, as you're set apart and become more like the one who has saved you. As He sculpts you into who you are meant to be, He is building us to be His church. And what's the point of this spiritual house? To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The point of the church is worship. It is our purpose. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Is that why you're here? Is that why you breathe? To worship the living God. And not only are we the building but we are the active participants in the worship of God as well. Because he speaks about us being this priesthood, which we'll look at uh, next Sunday morning, God willing. We are now called a holy priesthood. There's no one higher than any other in this place. Our high priest is Jesus. And it's your responsibility as a follower of Jesus to bring sacrificial worship to him. I can't do that for you. That is your responsibility. It's why you've been saved, is to worship him for obedience to Jesus Christ. So hear this, and this is amazing. The tabernacle, that temple in the Old Testament, that building they would go to, that is now us. We are now the temple of the living God. And just as the priests would go inside and they would offer sacrifices to the living God, that is also your responsibility. You bring sacrificial worship to him. So what are those spiritual sacrifices? Well, here's three to get you started. Romans 12, offer your bodies. Everything we do physically should be done to the glory of God. If it can't be done to the glory of God, don't do it. There's a good lesson for us to learn. If it can't be done to the glory of God, don't go near it. Stay away. Praise and thanksgiving. Acts of love. As Philippians 4 says. Their their generous gifts rose to heaven like a fragrant aroma. And we're going to think about this much more next Sunday. What it means for us to be the priesthood. But it's all because Christ is God's cornerstone. And what that means is the whole church must take its shape from him and him alone. How we look. Our foundation, what we do, why we do it, what we look like, must all take its leading from the cornerstone, which is Christ. No wonder Jesus said, The foolish man builds his house upon the sand. Not from the thoughts of this day or this pluralistic society, not religion, not tradition, but Christ. He is the cornerstone. If he is not central, if he is not the cornerstone of your life, then what you are building will not last. It will fall. If it's not of God, then it's not the gospel in which Christ gave us. Friends, do you see this morning how important Jesus is? Everything we do must take its lead from him. He is the central block. He is the one we rally around, the one we gather around, the one whose name we gather here together this morning. He is the king and head of the church. He is the living stone, the one the builders rejected, but God chose him and he is our cornerstone and we stand upon him regardless of what the world says, even regardless of what our denomination says. We stand upon Christ. We take our leading from him, trusting In the word of god that those who trust in him will never be put to shame let us pray jesus you are indeed the king and head of the church we are your bride and you are the bridegroom you're the one who gave his life as a ransom for many you're the one that came as the living stone that the builders rejected But God, thank you that through the Lamb, through Jesus' wounds, we are healed. That you raised him to life, Father. That he is the living stone. The cornerstone. The integral one. The one we rally around. The one we look and seek to build our lives upon. As we thought about our purpose of our election. Obedience unto Christ. God, we look to build our life upon you. And as we do it, would you glorify your name in all the earth. For we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.